All right, we are back with your favorite podcast show of the week. And this is this week. No, it's not. This is Location Weekly. See, I almost, I almost caught myself there. Anyhow, it's Location Weekly, episode number 454. See, like it's been so many years of the old name. It's still taking me time. It's taking me time. Um, but anyhow, Location Weekly, episode 454. And uh, we're recording live on March the 3rd. Uh, Brianna, how are you? You're back home in Atlanta. I am. I am home for this week. I'm actually not traveling, which is nice. It's the first week I've been home in like a month for an entire week. So looking forward to just catching up on things here in the office. It is gloomy and rainy here in Atlanta. Um, it's like we're kind of going back and forth between, you know, this 50 to 60 degree rainy weather or sunny and like, you know, 20 to 30 degree weather. Um, and so, yeah, we're just, I think spring's right around the corner here, which means pollen will be here soon, but, um, yeah, just trying to stay cheerful in the gloom, which you see behind me. Yeah, we're, we're pretty much in the same boat here in Toronto. It's been like, it's raining today. It's like 50 degrees. Uh, the weekend was cold and sunny, um, with snow on the ground. So yeah, it's sort of back and forth and it's kind of like, everybody's got a cold or something or hopefully not coronavirus you know like it, it, i don't know there's just a lot of it's the sort of middle of the winter let's be done with it and kind of get into spring and and summer right um but you know the baseball season has uh you know preseason anyways has, has begun so that's good it's you know my team's doing okay the young guys are uh, are doing okay so that's good um so there's something to look forward to Yes, always. And a good show. That's to look forward to as well. Yeah. So why don't you kick us off with our industry news for this week? All right. Well, you know, we've been talking a lot about like privacy implications and location data sharing and what does that mean? We've had a lot of new legislations come into place. Um, but you know, not everybody likes to play by the rules. And I would say that some of these companies are just a little bit greedy here. So we've got uh, four main ones that have been called out by the FCC for carriers um, here in the US. And they have, FCC has proposed, they just proposed on Friday that these four, you know, top four carriers um, get hit with some pretty hefty fines. I mean, hefty fines to you and me, hefty fines in light of what their annual revenue is, not so much. So T-Mobile's facing 91 million or more, uh, AT&T 57 million, Verizon 48 million, Sprint more than 12 million. But when you're looking at the fact that these companies are making between 12 and $47 billion annually, this is not much of a fine. It's more of a slap on the wrist. So the FCC started investigating these companies back in May of 2018 to try and figure out, you know, what are they doing with their location data? And so they found that a lot of them were, in fact, selling it to aggregators. Um, and carriers kept saying that they had stopped doing this, but uh, the investigations proved that they had not. They were continuing to sell it. Um, you know, and then there's a lot of consumer advocates that are out there and they're pointing the finger at the FCC because, you know, that changed control to kind of Republican hands not so long ago. And when that happened, they had reversed the uh, rollback like those, the net neutrality 
um, that had been put in place in 2015. They rolled it back in 2017. And so, you know, they rolled back those rules as well that went with that. And so they're kind of saying like, you know, because of this, the fines and the penalties and, you know, the privacy protections have been relaxed for too long and it's taking them too long to do something about it. Um, and for me, you know, the, the big difference here is that when you have an app, right, that needs to be monetized and they want to leverage location data in order to sell advertising or provide a more relevant experience or value. To me, that's a huge difference from somebody that you as a consumer are already paying for, right? You are paying for the service, um, you know, with, you know, cold, hard earned cash. Yeah. And now they are making money off of you, you know, two times over because they're selling your location data that you did not necessarily authorize them to do. Um, or maybe you did it in fine print, but they're selling your location data and they are also, you know, charging you whatever you're paying on that monthly basis, um, you know, for connectivity. So, you know, I think that if consumers are willing to share data and get something of value in return, we talk about that all the time, then that's an okay use of, of location data and being able to sell that or leverage that as long as you were very clear um, with what you were doing to your end consumers. But this is just, you know, it's wrong and it's greedy and it's gross. And it just gives the whole, uh, I would say the entire ecosystem a bad name whenever there's a lot of good use that could be put with this data for audiences and not maybe for some sheriff in Missouri to find whoever he's trying to find. So, so. yeah, that's my rant. Yeah, so, so I completely agree with everything you've said. And I'll start with sort of the, the fines. I mean, I, for, for me, the fines are, you know, they are a slap on the wrist. I mean, these companies, I, one of these four companies I happen to know just on location data monetization alone is making, you know, close to a billion dollars, you know. Um, so, you know, 40, 50 million fine, you know, whatever, but it's really nothing uh, in comparison to the amount of money that, that they're potentially making off of this type of data. It is about consent. It is about, you know, that exchange of value like you talk about. Um, but at the same time, you know, I, I'm, you know, the more I hear about, you know, whether it's the New York Times article that we've covered before or, you know, the, these sort of, you know, sort of hyper extended views of uh, invasions of people's privacy, um, the more I worry about it because, and, and I'll bring it back to, you know, I'm not saying what they did is right. You know, and maybe it is in the fine print, maybe people have consented to it, but like at least find a way to sort of bring people more into the conversation of understanding how they can participate in that. That's the one side of it. In terms of the data collection aspect of things though, um, while we're on this topic, I, I wanna kind of raise a point that uh, is something that's was driven home to me here in Toronto this, this past week. So like everywhere, you know, we've got our share of coronavirus cases going on in, in the city. Um, there's a woman who uh, came back from Iran last week uh, on, several flights and then took a public bus uh, to get to from the airport to where she was going. And so they're really concerned about trying to find all the people who were on this bus. Now here's the thing. Um, in, in Ontario, like this particular bus line, you know, the way you pay to get on is, is using a, a card that we have called Presto card here. Uh, and you, you basically, it's a, it's a loadable card, like a Starbucks card kind of thing. And you tap it, you know, and it, it draws down from the balance. It has some data about the owner and so on and so forth associated with it. And the cool thing was, I read like that they're actually able to now like go and see 
from the use of this card, who was on the bus at that particular time, and be able to use that data to track these people down to you know, assess whether or not they've been exposed to this. And so there you go. Like, like to me, here's an incredibly valuable use case of that data that people would complain about, you know, the privacy issues around that. And yet, you know, do they want to know if they've got been exposed to coronavirus? Yeah, absolutely they do, right? Um, and, and so I think there's all these interesting things that we haven't even contemplated yet in terms of the value of that data and just people being aware that their data is out there. I think they just have to accept it in today's age, right? But being able to find ways to understand the value proposition, articulate that value proposition, even participate in the monetization of their data is where we need to put the focus because it's being collected. You know, we're not going to stop that. It's being collected and there's a huge amount of value in it for everybody, including the consumer. So that's all I can say. All right. Okay. Um, on to the second uh, industry news story. So Apple um, is working on a new, uh, a new service. It's called Car Key. That's one word. Um, and basically, uh, they're testing it now in iOS 13.4, uh, which got released a few weeks ago uh, in a limited beta. And essentially, they're working with car manufacturers to be able to use your uh, uh, iPhone or your Apple Watch as a way to unlock your car and even remotely start your car. Um, and so it's sort of building that integration in. The other cool thing is, is because it's a sort of secure token type of um, engagement in terms of the way that they do it, is that you would have the ability to also share a digital key essentially to your car with others. So let's say another family member or whatever, they don't have to have the physical key with them. Um, you can actually share a key with them or, or something like that where you get locked out or whatever the case might be. So uh, I think this is kind of an interesting feature. It's a, it's a neat little um, you know, service for Apple to start playing around with for their, uh, for their customers. And I think for the car companies, uh, a neat way to do that. Like, I mean, I, uh, with my car currently, I have an app from the car manufacturer uh, that I can remotely start and control temperature and all of that. Uh, but being able to just do that with my watch or my phone directly, being able to share that with others, I think is, it, has some value in it. So I think this is, could be quite an interesting service, uh, you know, moving forward. Yeah, I think this is interesting. Um, you know, I kind of also thought about the fact that would this maybe give the opportunity for people to like steal cars a little bit easier, you know, where you can use somebody's phone and face to make them open the car for you or drive you, you know, somewhere, whatever that might be. Um, without the need for a physical key. I don't know, you know, but I do think that the idea of being able to share a key, a digital key with somebody, maybe something that's temporal would be really interesting, right? Yeah. I think about that maybe more for um, like my home versus something else. So you have out of town visitors, they want to be able to come and go, you know, you don't maybe have extra keys for everybody, but you have the ability to share a digital key with them. Or you know, Airbnb maybe. rentals. Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, I know that like the, I just stayed in an Airbnb this past week and, um, you know, it just had like the, the code keypad, which was great. It was easy to get in and out. I didn't ever have to see anybody or, you know, deal mm -hmm. with that. Um, but you know, the idea of being able to actually confirm that this person is who they say they are, you know, through Airbnb or through, you know, the car manufacturer or through 
you know, whoever your home security system is, I think is really smart. And I like the idea that Apple sort of controls the facial recognition part because we're already sharing that with them and not having to kind of involve more external sources and just being able to tap into that, I think is really smart. So I feel like they could do a lot with that in terms of how they could expand um, that offering with, you know, tons of different things. Yeah, very cool. Even walking into the office instead of having to use a key fob, right? <laughs> Yeah, that would be amazing. So, yeah. All right. Well, um, we're going to kind of go in a little bit of a different direction now and talk about a true, you know, advertising campaign for Adidas. And Adidas is going to be leveraging um, WhatsApp now to connect with their key consumers. So, you know, WhatsApp has a huge reach owned by Facebook, um, but, you know, run pretty separately. And they have over one and a half billion active users across 180 countries. So, you know, their reach goes beyond, uh, you know, device type and, um, you know, language spoken. And I think that, you know, outside of the U.S., WhatsApp is a very, very popular way of communication. Um, and so, I mean, even within the U.S., but I would say outside it has more of a foothold. Um, but they have, oh, there's over 300, there's over 3 million businesses that are using WhatsApp right now to connect with their, you know, sort of key consumers. And so what Adidas is doing is they're going to, going to be engaging influencers, athletes, um, and other brands to sort of operate as their, you know, salespeople promoting their products in their WhatsApp, I guess, kind of groups. Um, and so they did a recent um, campaign in the UK, which was interesting. And so Adidas opened up this chat hotline um, for unreliable, like if you were playing on a, they said football, but I'm assuming this is soccer here. So if you're playing on a soccer team um, that, you know, maybe you had some unreliable players, you, you know, Adidas sponsored, like players could come and show up at your event. Um, and so they had like winners, you know, decked out in all this Adidas gear that would just show up and sort of like be your, you know, your go-to wingman there. Um, so I think that's really, really funny, but you know what they talk about in the, in the article is how, you know, WhatsApp has extremely high open rates, probably similar to text message, um, you know, and the, the closest thing to that would be email. But, you know, when you're looking at like 97% open rates and things of that nature, I think that's like you're looking at very high engagement. Um, so, you know, I think this is in, in a time where data is very questionable and first party data is so valuable and trying to, you know, come up with creative ways to reach your valuable consumers. I think this is really smart. I think this is spot on and, and likely works well, in my opinion. Um, I think that you're still, you know, a brand even like Adidas for, you know, growth um, in terms of new customer acquisition. I think you're still going to have to look at external audience and external data, but you know, rather than investing their money in just more ads, Adidas has chosen to sort of go this path and um, engage organically with their most valuable, you know, fans. Um, and they also recently did this partnership with Spotify, which was interesting, where they could tap into the accelerometer on your phone to see how fast you were running, um, and then they could play certain songs based upon that, you know, that would be like the right beat for you to be running to. So they're looking at ways to engage with consumers, you know, across different platforms and, you know, ways that they can sort of leverage who their consumers are at, at the heart, whether they're runners or, you know, soccer players. And uh, I think it's pretty cool. You know, I think that trying to find unique ways to engage is always uh, the number one 
thing that a brand has to do and they have to keep iterating. And so um, I think that these two things are, are good. Yeah. So completely agree with you again on, on this. I, I mean, for, for me, the beauty of the, of using WhatsApp, uh, like text messaging is, is reach, right? I mean, you, you've got millions, billions of people, uh, you know, well, 1.5 billion people in 180 countries uh, on WhatsApp. So, uh, you know, your ability to reach a lot of people all at once is, is, uh, is really great. Now, for me, the one thing that I would like to see, because I, I don't have a lot to add to what you say, I completely agree with it, but I'd like to see them leverage like geolocation a little more specifically in some of the campaigns and the engagement that they're doing here. You might remember, I think it was two years ago now at Coachella, Adidas, again, same brand, uh, did a campaign there with um, uh, Donald Glover um, and where they gave away, you know, sort of limited edition Adidas uh, sneakers, but they were based on using AirDrop in this case uh, on, the, on the iPhone platform. So basically people who were in close proximity within AirDrop range, you know, basically, you know, they kind of pushed out a, a message. You could respond to that, sort of participate in the contest for a chance to win these kind of limited edition things. And I think in a lot of ways, you could use WhatsApp, you know, from a geo perspective to engage people with, you know, more local, you know, sort of campaign specific things that are, you know, more geographically targeted um, and have even higher levels of engagement, um, you know, and, and sort of, you know, fan base and so on. So, but, but I love what they're doing. I'm not knocking at all what they're doing. I, I think, you know, for me, there's probably yet another step of even getting higher engagement and, and um, you know, just being more uh, targeted uh, in what they're doing by using location data. So, uh, but, but uh, kudos to them for, for, for this. It's uh, the reach is amazing. So. Yeah, I think that, you know, you're right. They have done stuff in the past, like with the Adidas drop. I think they did the the Yeezy, um, you know, shoe where you had to be like in a, you could try to be one of the first to be able to purchase the shoe, but you had to be in a specific geofence or, you know, actually like it wasn't really a geofence, but it was a boundary that you had to be in. And, you know, I think that there's good use cases for both, right? So like something something along the lines of, you know, come help out our soccer team, like that should be, very geo focused yeah. whereas something for me about getting a new shoe should be less geo focused and more just about reach um so i think that you know even recently in a lot of the conversations i've been having with agencies you know location is not something that they're always keen on because a lot of the brands that they're working for just have global reach right so a lot of it is more about just you know impressions or engagement and I think that they kind of sometimes can miss the mark when they don't bring location into that. And also having a core understanding of where you're doing really well and where your messaging is resonating um, and where it's not just from a measurement perspective and how you maybe plan for campaigns in the future. Messaging in one location may not resonate the same that it will in another right. location. And I think that that's a big opportunity um, for agencies and brands to improve with these types of um, advertising initiatives. So. Yeah. There you go. Well, so that's our three industry news stories uh, for this week. Now, before we jump into member news, you've been traveling recently and you have a bit of an update on a story that we covered a little while ago. I do. I was, I was looking back this morning to see when we covered it. And um, it was, I think, January 21st episode. We talked about how Delta was rolling out some new features in their app and how they were going to be integrating with Lyft. Well, recently, last week when I was traveling, I had a notification 
that said, Hey, you can pair your Lyft now with, with your Delta Sky Miles account and earn Sky Miles. And I'm like, awesome. Okay. So I've always kind of gone back and forth between Lyft and Uber and, you know, just kind of seen like, who can I get a ride for quickly, typically in business situations. But to me, this is definitely pushing me more towards Lyft. So I already started earning Sky Miles and I can see them coming through on my Delta app, like each Lyft ride, you know, it's, you know, 100 sky miles here, 75 here, and all those trips really add up, you know? So I think that that's a great feature that Delta has rolled out. I love that. And I just, it was nice to actually felt feel like for once I get rewarded for something from sky miles besides just, you know, being able to redeem them for a flight, you know, once a year or however often. So I was excited about that. <laughs> yeah, I, I think, uh, I, you know, like Uber also, you know, they, uh, you've been pushing on kind of the rewards side of the program, but, you know, having those types of deeper integrations with, uh, with partners that are sort of, you know, in the same horizontal area of travel, um, you know, make, makes a lot of sense. So yeah, I, I'm, I was quite happy when you said, hey, you know, uh, I try actually use this thing. I tried it out. It worked. Um, so that's good. All right, so on to our member news now. Uh, first of our three stories this week, uh, KFC, that's Kentucky Fried Chicken, uh, here, right here in Canada actually is, uh, is doing some interesting things. So they have integrated uh, ordering uh, with Google Maps, uh, Search, and Google Assistant. Um, and this is kind of interesting. So basically what they're saying is, is you can, you can kind of like, as you search for, you know, fried chicken or whatever you're searching for on, on Google um, and KFC comes up, you can actually order directly through the search, uh, you know, functions in, in Maps or Search or Google Assistant. And you can even use voice. And they've taken the even further step uh, with their brand in particular uh, here in Canada. Um, so you can uh, you, you basically have that conversation directly with Colonel Sanders. Uh, so they've got the, the voice of Colonel Sanders speaking, powered by AI technology in the background. Um, so it's kind of fun. Um, I mean, I'm going to have to give it a try. I'm not a, honestly, I'm not a big KFC, like a fried chicken person. Um, but every once in a while, like me, maybe twice a year, like we'll, we'll do that kind of thing. So maybe I'm going to, maybe I'll give this a shot in the next, uh, in the next couple of weeks and see especially if I get grounded and I'm not traveling um, <laughs> because of coronavirus, I'll have to ground my, uh, uh, myself in and drown my sorrows in some, in a bucket of, uh, chicken. of Kentucky fried chicken. So there you go. Yeah. You know, it's funny. Um, growing up, uh, like we didn't really eat a ton of KFC, but every once in a while, I remember we would go to, you know, Sunday church and then after church, it would be, my mom was like an amazing cook growing up and she always just cooked homemade, you know, gourmet food. And so every once in a while she was ready to not cook. And so it was like my dad's treat to her that we would get like a bucket of fried chicken and some sides on a Sunday. <laughs> but I think that that's like the last time I've really, you know, enjoyed KFC. But I think my dad will be like, if he was, you know, raising young kids now, he would be all over this uh, ordering. Although it may not be KFC, it'd probably be like Popeye's. Popeyes. Popeyes. Yeah. 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 So. yeah you know what? You, so, so one of my memories from childhood of KFC, because like similarly, we used to, you know, probably have it more often when I was a kid. Uh, I can remember a similar type of experience, but I don't know, like they don't have it now, I don't think. But when I was a kid, they used to, KFC used to also have like loaves of bread. 
um, and they would like be pre-sliced and buttered and hot. Like you'd get this hot like loaf of bread, and I don't know what it was, but that bread was really good. I remember, um, and uh, I don't think they have that anymore. But um, yeah, it was, it was something. Else. It's sort of like it disappeared, you know, back when like McDonald's used to have pizza too. So that's funny. So anyhow, all right. Okay, so we were talking about Lyft, now we're talking about Uber, uh, but completely different kind of topic here. But Uber is rolling out um, an opportunity for their drivers to get some more money. So what they're doing is they are allowing their drivers to do these display ads um, on top of their cars. You've seen them on top of taxis or, you know, sometimes some other Lyft or Uber cars, but they were, you know, previously available through some other... Um, some other you know networks but not through uber specific so uber's launching this with um adomni i think that's how you said it adomni mm -hmm. and um so this is called the uber out of home and they can put these units they're like the two-sided internet connected screens on the top of vehicles so they can take into consideration you know the audience that's around them the location that they are and display different ads there and they're going to launch this first here in Atlanta, Phoenix, and then Dallas. Um, and then they have they have plans to um, launch it in some other cities after that. So for the pilot program, you can actually go to Uber or Adomni's websites to purchase advertising at this point in time. And then the second quarter of this year, they are looking to roll out um, Amobi and Zeta Global programmatic uh, purchasing. So if you want to go through those uh, DSPs, the inventory will be available there. Um, so the Uber drivers will get $300 for installing the unit, another $100 each week they drive more than 20 hours. And then after that, it'll be paid out, you know, after the pilot program, it'll be paid out based upon like how much they drive. Um, so I think this is interesting to me, but uh, one of the last trips I, I came back from, I got in my, my Uber or Lyft and I remember the car had like the giant screen on top and I was kind of embarrassed to get in. Honestly, I was like, I feel like I'm getting in a billboard. But then after a second, I was like, well, you know, if they're making a couple extra bucks here just for putting that on, you know, their car, then I guess that it's, you know, I get it, right? Mm -hmm. Every but counts when you're when you're driving Uber and stuff. So, um, you know, I think it'll start to probably just be the norm for a lot of these cars, especially if it's something that's kind of magnetic that they can take off when they're not driving and you know put back on when they are driving. Um, you know, I think that gives them a little bit of flexibility, obviously. But you know, that's how all the taxis are that you see in New York and other places. So I imagine that you know this is just going to become more of the norm and you know the difference is is that this is digital and it can change and you know you don't have to do anything about like really in terms of maintenance there's probably minimal maintenance because you're not changing out a static sign all the time so it makes a lot of sense and obviously it'll make a lot of money for uber as well oh and one other cool feature that i wanted to mention is that at, at domini's network can also put the same ad that's on the sign on the car on a you know nearby billboard kind of at the same time. So I guess people are seeing it in multiple places. So more brand recognition and bigger impact. So yeah. 
Yeah. So, um, yeah. So, I mean, I think this just speaks to, we've, we've covered a lot of these types of things that weren't directly connected to Uber or Lyft over, over the last couple of years, but now obviously they're getting directly into it and helping kind of the drivers make more money. So, you know, Lyft just recently announced also they've acquired a company called Halo Cars, which is their sort of version of this. Um, and the other thing is because this is digital with, with Uber and Adomni is that uh, they can uh, geofence these ads as well. So the ads that you see are local or can be local to the area, to the you know, local businesses and so on. So it's not necessarily just big global ad spend or even regional, uh, but can be very local uh, as well. And uh, you know, I love what you just said too, like this ability to sort of tie that in to other out of home displays in the area and having the same ad you know, sort of resonate as, as you're moving around. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think this is great. I think for the drivers, this is, uh, you know, yet another way to kind of just make a little extra uh, from this. And I, I think it's reasonable. I mean, 300 bucks for installing the unit. Okay, it's a one-time thing, but 100 bucks a week. So it's an extra 100 bucks a week plus, and that's just for 20 hours. If you do more than 20 hours, you can make more money, right? So, um, yeah, I mean, you know, everybody can use an extra 100 bucks a week, right? Yeah. So there you go. There you go. All right. Our final story now, uh, sticking with sort of the out-of-home industry, uh, JC Deco in Australia uh, has executed a pretty interesting campaign for Yoplait, the yogurt brand. Um, so this is uh, in, on uh, George Street in Sydney, Australia. Uh, so George Street's one of the main thoroughfares, retail thoroughfares there, if you've never been. And um, yeah, so they've got this out of home display. Basically, um, it asks customers, to, basically it's a, it's a campaign to offer them a free smoothie. And so they have to stand in front of the unit uh, and then the display basically using facial recognition cameras um, and voice basically asks them to either smile or frown for a free smoothie. Um, and then customers can, you know, if they, if they do that, uh, they can get a coupon that they, they can then go to a local retailer around the corner, basically, and redeem for their free smoothie. So I think it, it, it works well in the sense of, you know, you just go up there, you engage with the brand, you smile, you get your coupon, it drives traffic to the local retailer, which is obviously the goal there. It's good for the retailer as well. So I'm sure they're, you know, sort of participating in it in some way. Um, you know, there has been some pushback on the campaign relative to the privacy issues as well with faces and so on. I, I feel like, especially in this part of the world, um, you know, more and more this is the norm. And I think, as I said earlier in the FCC story, I think, you know, we just need to get comfortable with these things. This is not the first type of campaign like this in Australia on the George Street uh, thoroughfare there. They did a similar campaign, you know, uh, with... Um, you know, are you hungry kind of thing or hangry, I think it was, right? Uh, uh, we had covered a while ago. Um, and uh, yeah, so, uh, you know, it obviously works. It obviously drives traffic, uh, you know, to the display, to the brand uh, and gets people engaged. And I'm sure it doesn't cost them a whole heck of a lot to give away a free smoothie. So. Yeah, I, I think it's interesting, like of all the things that they could do to give you a free smoothie, like, I don't know, put in your phone number to get, you know, smoothie recipes and get a free smoothie or put in your email address or, you know, anything they chose the facial recognition part. And my question is like, well, what are they using the data for? So they have, you know, they're taking this picture right. of 
smiling or frowning? And then what are they using that for? Like, how are they leveraging that in the future? I think that's why to me, it's a little bit of a murky campaign because it's like, well, what are you going to, you know, what, I mean, at the end of the day, like, what are they going to do? They can say that I got a smoothie. Okay, great. But still it's like your, you know, your likeness, it's your picture. Mm -hmm. You know, do they own it? Do they get to use it for social media? What do they get to do with it? Right. So I feel like there's questions in my mind of, you know, how effective this is or like how it resonates with people engaging. Um, and would they have higher engagement if they did something a little bit different? But, um, I mean, I like seeing new things. I like that they're trying something. Um, you know, I think there's been good, better use cases of facial recognition maybe, but. Yeah, I mean, there's lots of people using it for payments, uh, you know, through kiosks, you know, KFC in China is one of them, um, kind of going back to them. But um, it, it, at the end of the day, this stuff is coming. The, the issue is proper articulation of what you're doing with the data, how you're storing that data, are you reselling that data? Those are the things, right, that need to just be clear and transparent. Um, you know, otherwise, I think it's fine. I think it's, it's something that we need to get comfortable with, we need to get used to, and we should embrace because there's a lot of fun things that can happen with it. So yeah. there you go. So that's our show for this week. You've been listening to Location Weekly, episode number 454. Uh, thank you for listening and watching. If you have story ideas, if you have feedback, if you have criticism, whatever it is, we want to hear about it. Uh, please reach out to us. We're easily found on all the social channels. Um, and we just thank you for listening and watching every week. Have a great week, everybody. We'll talk to you next week. Bye. Bye.